0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on uh, the second episode of the Sunday Schooled podcast. And this is a portion of the uh, Evangelical Free Church of Canton's podcast where we take some time and dive a little bit deeper into Sunday's uh, message. And it gives us a chance to talk a little bit in a little bit more detail than uh, just what we cover on Sunday morning and uh, we want to encourage you uh if you listen to those messages regularly uh think through some questions um on sunday jot them down and you can send them to us here at the church and uh, let us know if there's specific questions you'd like us to answer or uh concepts you'd like us to dive deep into because this is the place for us to do that so uh we're, our hope is that this will be encouraging to you challenging to you and ultimately will Just give you a greater hunger for who God is and what scripture actually teaches us. Um, So this is uh, our second week in our study on prayer. And before we go any further in that, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Matt Spangler. And I'm the lead teaching pastor at the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. And I'm joined by... Me. Hi, me. Hi. (laughs) Hi, me.
1: <laughs> oh, you want information I'm about me. me? Yeah. Well, information about me. I'm Caden. I am a seminary student at Midwestern Seminary, and I am the video guy that is typically in the sound booth most weeks, helping produce our online content and um, teach a Sunday school class here at the church. We're going through the Gospel of Mark right now.
0: And yeah, that's me. Nice. That's me. Okay. Hi, me. So. Prayer. Prayer is challenging. Yes, prayer is hard. And I'll say this uh, series on prayer has been one of the more personally challenging series to study because I honestly don't think we take a lot of time and actually give to the study of prayer itself. And one of the reasons for that, and actually an example, I talked a little bit about this in the introduction portion of my message on Sunday, we tend to treat prayer kind of like a medication, so it's really easy, and, and we could probably expand that to say we sometimes treat God, just broadly, anything to do with religion, spirituality, God, prayer, uh, fill in the blank, even reading our Bible. Uh, we treat kind of like a medication where when there's some type of infection, something is not the way we perceive it should be, then we begin looking for solutions for that. And while I'm very thankful for medication uh I am troubled by the thought that we treat God the same way because the implication is I'm gonna get to a point where I no longer need it. And in this context I that I would get to a point where I no longer need him. And that's a very dangerous place to be.
1: Oh absolutely. I I would uh I would agree there on that one. Uh, another point to note: If you have not listened to this past week's sermon, you should do so. That'll help um, give you some context Evaluation. to to what what we're going to talk about today.
0: Yes. But yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I think that our dependency on God would would definitely diminish if we if we looked at it from that view. And I know that's a fear of mine that that I I feel at a certain point i may feel like well i don't i don't need God anymore because now i'm on this level of understanding something and that's something to be cautious of and that's something i always check myself on
0: yeah and so we're what we're going to do we're each time we do these discussions and that's kind of an introduction to this one uh, the focus today is praying persistently how do we grow to be a people as the church who pray persistently not just when we feel like we need to Um, Not when we feel like we want to, um, but just persistently that it becomes a part of our, really, it becomes a part of our worship, our daily worship. um, And a part of how we commune with and glorify the Lord, uh, which is really a privilege. And um, uh, we're we're using the book of Daniel as an outline for this and really looking at the character of Daniel and his friends, um, how they modeled a persistence in prayer. During a really tumultuous time. So um, I'm going to read a couple of verses out of Daniel chapter 1 just to kind of initiate discussion here. And we're going to talk a little bit about the historical background behind what's taking place in Daniel. And uh, we're going to be reading from the ESV version. Uh, for those of you listening, um, feel free to use uh, your own uh, English translation or translation of the Bible. Um, we're going to be reading from the ESV just for clarity's sake. Um, But in chapter 1, verse 1 of Daniel, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his gods, and placed the vessel in the treasury of his god. Yikes. This is a scary time in Israel's history. Um so this uh the some summary historical period in scripture is known as the Babylonian captivity. This is really when this commenced. uh King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, as verse one says, uh, besieges Judah and uh besieged Jerusalem and uh is victorious. Now, some people may be listening to this and going, why in the world, if if God is with Israel, why uh, would this king of a pagan nation be victorious over the nation of Israel? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, number one, if we go backwards in scripture, we see that God said this was going to happen.
0: Why? Because the people are bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It is true. There was, so, one of the things you will find in the text of scripture, and if you ever come to a spot in scripture where you question, why did God do something? Understand, number one, that if God is truly God, he can do as he pleases, and it does not change who he is. It just might need to change who you believe him to be. But number two, also understand that God never contradicts his character. And so if there's an aspect of something God does or something God allows that we wrestle with, we need to go back and actually search through the scripture to, to determine what what has God revealed about himself and where um, where has he revealed this about himself instead of relying solely on our own perception of who we think God should be to dictate who God becomes. Because then you have simply created your own God and you might as well uh, carve yourself a wooden idol while you're at it because there's no difference. Um, and so when God allows the nation of Israel to be given over into the hands of their enemies, um, when this is happening in the Babylonian captivity, um, which is uh, estimated to be around 605 B.C., timeline of this, um, when, when this is happening, it's not the first time something like this has transpired. It's not the first time God has allowed the nation of Israel, to be given over to their enemies as a result of their unfaithfulness. You want to read a narrative in scripture that goes into a lot of detail about that, read through the book of Judges, and you will see a constant cycle of uh, God's people sinning, they are taken into captivity with a foreign nation, they realize the weight of their sin, they repent of their sin and call on the Lord, and then God raises up a redeemer to deliver them from that oppressor, and then they repeat the cycle over and over and over and over again. And you would think <laughs> you would think that they would get the point. And in the same way, you would think we would get the point. <laughs> I often say that about my children. You would think
1: after getting in trouble for doing this over and over again, you'd stop doing it. Why don't you stop? Well, I don't know.
0: It's the exact same thing. Because man seeks to do what is wise in his own eyes, mm-hmm. and so that's what happened here. The, God had faithfully warned, um, had faithfully warned the people that if they continued on this trajectory, this is what would happen. And this is actually in the book of Second Kings, where God is warning them of this. I think it's Second Kings, probably in the mid to later twenties. That, that's something I would need to look up. Um, but God has warned that this is what's going to happen. And he does in fact follow through on what he is actually said he was going to do. The actual captures in 24, Second Kings 24. Okay, Second Kings 24. So read that in tangent. We and we often this is another thing for those of you listening. We often will read our Bibles as if they are uh, in chronological order. They're not. you can get a chronological Bible, and it's a great tool. Um, or you can look up online. You can go and actually look up reading plans of scripture that will take you chronologically. Um, really practical example of that is the book of Job falls within the book of Genesis in timeline. If, if you want to put it where it's supposed to be, and so what you see happen in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles is detailed and enhanced further by the prophetic books, um, where we see it, it, more specifics about what's happening inside of those major events. So um, this is another reason that we decide to take time in a podcast to talk about these things because if I were to go into all this detail on Sunday morning, we would be there until probably 3 in the afternoon.
1: At least. At (laughs) at least 3 in the afternoon. And I get
0: excited about that, but some other people I I would lose. I would lose some other people. I'd be with you. (laughs) So Daniel 1, the, the Babylonian captivity ensues And what you see happen after this is that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar calls for uh, this group of young individuals to be brought in and basically educated into the customs and cultures of this foreign land. Um, So if you're using the the curriculum that we write in tangent with this, one of the questions, the first questions under Daniel chapter 1, is to brainstorm what some of the added stresses may have been for Daniel and his friends during this time, and then even asking the question, how do we usually respond in stressful seasons of our life?
1: Well, I'd say we have a similar situation to what everybody's dealing with with COVID-19 is that your entire life is now changed. In some ways. And and that's, that's what we see with, with Daniel and the people is now their entire way of life is trying to be changed by this foreign power to this is what we do. You need to subjugate yourself to us. And follow along, just basically fall in line. This is, things are changing. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of similar to that in that our, our lives are upset in, in how we do things and the way that we've always done them is now different. So it's, it's very similar to that. And I think that's, that's a period of stress for a lot of people right now.
0: Yeah. And what this reveals when we really actually take time to think about how we respond to, Our lives shifting and things happening outside of our control is uh, we a couple things. One, we realize we really like to be in control. Two, we realize what we go to in order to try to regain control. And so it's kind of like someone who's falling and there's a rope. There there's (laughs) there's various different ropes in front of them. Only one of them is actually going to give you any kind of lasting strength. But we grapple for all of these different ropes. To try and give us some semblance of comfort or some measure of hope. And then the more those ropes fail, the more we either hit a point of despair or we just become really angry, hardened people. And um, we what we see happening in the story of Daniel in this narrative is everything has changed. Like we've experienced some measure of conflict or trial in our lives. Everyone has. But... Most of us can't say we've ever experienced a complete upturning of our entire society to the point that we're taken to a foreign nation and are at the mercies of said foreign nation and their leaders and are ultimately brought in to be trained in the customs of another nation. Like, Stop and think about that. Uh, We personally have never lived through something like that. But to think, stop and think about Daniel and his friends being put in that position. And um, this is actually where, uh, a bit of Bible trivia for you, in uh, chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 6, it gives the names of these guys. And uh, it says, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And this is where they actually renamed them, um, because these would have been their uh, Israelite names, and they renamed them these Names that would have been more accustomed to the nation they were in. So they've already lost their home. They've lost everything familiar to them. And now their names are changed. Uh, Talk about drastic. Mm -hmm. And so Daniel, he called um, Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And most the reason I say this is good Bible trivia is because most people, if you ask them, who were uh, Daniel's three friends in... Uh, the book of Daniel, they would refer to the story of Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, which
1: rolls off the tongue compared to w- the original name. Yeah. That's why. <laughs>
0: Hananiah, Michel, and Azariah. Um, mm-hmm. But to, uh, to acknowledge, you could stump some people with this. If uh, you went to someone and asked, what were uh, Daniel's three friends' actual given names? Mm-hmm. Mm, I would say 95% of people, probably 99% of people wouldn't be able to give you that answer.
1: Yeah, I, w- I was in that camp. I wouldn't have given that any. I
0: blame VeggieTales. Yep.
1: I don't watch VeggieTales. Mm-hmm. I'm a
0: crack shack guy. and Benny. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's oh, what goodness. they're called in in VeggieTales.
1: Oh man! <laughs> no, we're we're not sponsored by VeggieTales. And <laughs> anyway. But we're interested. No. Uh,
0: that w- that one's where they uh, are told to worship the chocolate bunny.
1: <laughs> oh boy, the bunny,
0: the bunny. <laughs> Somebody listening to this is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Usually I'm the one that needs to be reined (laughs) in. Oh, boy. Now it's stuck in someone's head. You're welcome for that, whoever that is. So they're renamed. And then verses 8 and 9 are really where we see this first glimpse of Daniel's character and what they resolved to do. And so verse 8 says, but Daniel resolved now there's actually quite a few, there, there's a lot of debate about why Daniel refused to eat the king's food. It says he, he resolved that he would not defile himself with the, with the king's food. Um, some of the viewpoints about this, one viewpoint, uh, is hypoth- and understand these are hypothetical. These are not biblical uh that we can trace. They would have to be cultural assumptions that we make based on biblical culture, based on our understanding of, uh what what would have been known in uh, amongst the Jewish people. Um, one of those assumptions is that this food uh, had been offered to idols before they were to eat it. And so Daniel was saying, I want no part of that. Uh, definitely a possibility. Again, nowhere in Scripture that says that was the reason or identifies that. Um, another uh, viewpoint on this is that uh, the the food wasn't kosher as they would have wanted it to be. Um, and, again, another possibility, but nothing for for certain in that. Uh, really, the only thing that we can come to in the scope of this is that Daniel's priority was to follow after the commands of the Lord. I, I, his priority, and we see this, you'll see this in other sections, but his priority was consistency in his desire to follow after God's commands and to reveal even to others, uh, my devotion and my dependence is on my God, not anyone else.
1: Yeah, my, my opinion would be that it had to do with the, the food laws in Leviticus, that that he he had to have known, that would, that would be the only thing I could think of, is that Daniel had to have known that it had been somehow against the food laws in Leviticus, and that would that would be my only argument as to why he was like, mm, no, not going to partake in that.
0: Yeah, and that that's a very logical, feasible explanation of it. Um, one of the th- ultimately what what we come to in the mess in the message when we're thinking about some of you are going, what does this have to do with prayer? Um, this is this has less to do with prayer and more to do with a foundation that we have to build if we're going to understand why we should pray persistently. And what it comes back to is is really an identity issue. That if we're going to pray persistently, we have to know who we belong to. We have to know ultimately who we serve. And if we don't, then uh, our tendency is going to be to serve whatever it is we think we belong to first. Um, And that's a really challenging statement um, that I made Sunday, which is essentially the statement, naturally speaking, we will always go to that which we worship first. And there is, unfortunately, often a major separation between what we claim to worship and what we actually do. And that's really, we have to do a lot of introspective thought and evaluation to determine what is it that I really worship. Because there's a lot of other things uh, that usually take priority for how I cope with my life than turning to the Lord and trusting it to him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to put some context behind that, uh, you you see this in movies a lot of time when somebody's held captive in a situation like that, and typically it's over money. They're rich and there's a ransom, and that person's always like, well, let here, I'll, I'll give you whatever you want. I'll, I'll bribe you with this money. Just let me go. And if you look at that in relation to Daniel's situation, maybe he could have done that, maybe not. But instead, Daniel first thought, you know, I got to make sure I'm right with the Lord here. That was his first thing. He went back to, like you said, to you know what what we um, yeah he went to that which we worship first. I don't, I don't know why that was slipping my mind there.
0: Yeah. So so Daniel in his character, by by identifying saying, um, we're going to depend on the Lord. We're not going to defile ourselves in this way. Um, he it revealed a confidence he had in God's provision and God's sustaining power in his life. And hang on to that, because that really is going to mesh over into what we see in uh, other avenues here represented in, really, Daniel's chapters 1 through 6. Um, but, but really challenging ourselves to answer the question, uh, what do we go to first? And uh, whatever you go to first is the number one competing thing for God's glory, uh God's attention in 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 your life. Um so if you go to if you go to money, if you go to your job, if you go to relationship earthly relationships first, if you uh if you go to food, if you go to substances, if you fill in that blank with anything, um, if you go to media, <laughs> the 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 list is endless. Mm-hmm. For all of those things vying for your attention and vine for your affections. And God is the only one who deserves that. He's the only one also that can actually help in that. Uh, when we are in despair, when we face trials, when we're rejoicing, he is the only one that we can turn to in consistency that has not changed. So we have to keep that in mind if we're going to actually build a foundation um, on how do we pray persistently.
1: Yeah, and, and that ties back into the attributes of God that he's faithful and so we know based on everything he's told us that we can always rely on him. Yeah. And that's that's part of what got the people of Israel in this mess to begin with is they stopped relying on God Correct. for for reasons that you know we see in scripture that they were putting other things first. That it was it was more about the here and now. It was all about, oh, we're the chosen people and all, all those things and not about God. And that's that's what got him in this situation.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting to think about. We don't know where everyone else in the nation of Israel that was taken into captivity falls in this. But what we do know is it's only four guys who modeled this. And understanding that you are probably going to be surrounded by a majority of people that don't take this seriously. And whether that's people within your own church family or people within your own community... Um, or complete strangers, uh, to be willing to say, I know who I belong to, therefore I don't care if I have to stand alone. I will stand on that which I know lasts. is really a challenging thing to process through. Because as we read this narrative, the only people we know are Daniel and his friends. But we have to understand, there's a whole nation of people that were taken into captivity, and there's only four people here in this story Mm -hmm. that are highlighted actually walking and living for the Lord. So, I am prone to think, and this ties directly in with New Testament, that it's not the majority of people that are going to grasp this. Um, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few are those who actually take it.
1: Yeah, I, I've seen I seen uh, something on the online last year that really hit me, and it was they were talking about leading up to the crucifixion. You know, Jesus had twelve disciples that you know were his core group. There was a lot of others that followed him. But out of those twelve, how many ended up at the cross with him? Mm -hmm. One. And the whole statement of that was: the closer you get to the cross, or the closer you get to Jesus, the smaller your circle becomes. Yeah, and that's that's exactly correct. And I've found that in my own life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. um, If if it comes down to it, you know, am I going to have a big group of friends or salvation through Jesus? I know which one I'm going to pick.
0: Yep. So the story continues in uh, Daniel chapter 2. And what happens is Nebuchadnezzar begins to have these dreams that trouble him. And so he calls upon the Chaldeans to help interpret his dream. Now the Chaldeans were very simply put the sorcerers or the wise men of the day. And so they were tasked often with giving counsel to leaders in uh, what certain dreams meant or how to interpret certain things. And so when there was a distressing thing, and this is a great practical, secular answer to that question we just asked. Who do you go to first? Here, King Nebuchadnezzar very clearly reveals he has no dependence on the Lord God. His dependence is on the knowledge and wisdom and insight of man. And when the Chaldeans are unable to help in any way, and in fact, this is what the Chaldeans say to him, to the king, in verse 11 of chapter 2. They say, the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except to the gods, little G gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh and so even the Chaldeans here uh, it wasn't that they didn't believe in some sort of deity, but they really it reveals they were probably polytheists that believed in many gods, and these gods were were not personal gods they they were impersonal in their nature. Because they identified that these these gods, quote-unquote gods, um, their dwelling place is not with flesh. In other words, they dwell somewhere else. They could care less about the state of mankind. And they're the only ones who really know the insight into what you're dreaming about, king. So, uh, understanding a little bit about their worldview is interesting. I find it funny that they told him
1: that after he told them, If you don't tell me what this means, I'm going to have you ripped limb from Lamb. <laughs> and then they're like, Well sorry. We
0: we can't answer you. So as a result of this, verse twelve, it says, Because of this the king was very angry and very furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and <clears throat> they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, if you've read the rest of the story, you would find out <clears throat> that Daniel and his friends uh, were actually given favor. When they refused to take the food of the king, uh, there was a test done. And ultimately, uh, they said, you know, let us eat what we ask you to feed us and see at the end of this time frame if uh, who's stronger. See who is better off. See who is healthier. And God gave them favor and they were clearly much healthier than the other people that were brought in at the same time. And uh, so, as a result, they continued to grow in favor and became some of the sought-after wise men in, within the kingdom. So, uh, they would have been uh, called on at times by the king to potentially answer questions or uh, specific struggles or issues that uh, the king was facing in order to give counsel to decisions that were being made. So, Daniel and his companions were a group, a part of uh, these wise men that the king in his angered stupor basically said, just kill them all. They're worthless. Kill them all. Um, And so in 14, I I love this because Daniel's confidence is crazy. Here they're showing up at his door to kill him. (laughs) He replies with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who'd gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So he responds, he gives caution to this. And then in verse 17, this is where we see really powerful representation of what, what Daniel's response was in the face of, ultimately in the face of death. Because he's just been told that hey, uh, the king's not getting an answer for this, and so he's going to have you all killed. And it says Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. He told them to seek mercy from God, the God of heaven, concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So this comes back to this place of knowing who you belong to, and knowing who is really in charge. Because Daniel didn't come back and say, hey guys, the king's got a dream, we need to brainstorm and think through what what is it this dream could mean. The first thing he tells them, guys, we need to seek the Lord. Mm-hmm. We need to pray. We need to go to the Lord because that's where we're going to get this revelation. It's only going to come from him. Not the the little G gods who don't dwell with flesh, but the God, creator of heaven and earth, who reveals all things. And Daniel had a confidence in that to call, a really, a corporate prayer meeting with his fellow brothers to say, we need to seek the Lord in this way.
1: Yep. There was probably a sense of urgency behind it, too, I'd imagine. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Verse 19,
0: the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision... Of the night, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And this is where we see a, a really beautiful glimpse at, uh, at Daniel's faith in who God is. And so, um, this is what Daniel says in verse 20 through 23. It says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season, He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known it to us, the king's matter. And he shares this with the king and... Um, the king in verse, if you jump down to verse 26 of chapter 2, says the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And you would think Daniel's response would be, well, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I, I can make it known to you. Like, don't kill us. And instead, here's what Daniel says in verse 27. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Um, Daniel consistently comes back to this place that God is the only one who can reveal that which is hidden. And so if we're going to pray persistently, we have to believe that he is God and there is no other. That that was the main point in this section of this on Sunday. If we have a concept that there is anyone else that can resolve this, then that becomes who we go to first, that becomes who we worship first, and God takes a back seat. Now, does God choose to use people? Absolutely. Does God give wisdom to mankind in order to accomplish much? Absolutely, He does, and that's exactly what happens here. But do we actually stop to give credit to the only one who's able to give that kind of wisdom? Um, it's the same same thing in recognizing my <laughs> the very ability I have to think and process is a gift given by God. If there is not breath in my lungs if my heart ceases to beat then i no longer have the ability to learn more or process more therefore everything that i've learned and everything that i've grown in and everything that i've processed is a byproduct of god's gracious merciful nature to me and we don't often think about it like that no
1: we don't um and that's that's something that i always you know I always jokingly say with everybody um when when uh, they asked me how things are going in school and I'm like, Oh it's going great and they're like, Oh yeah, I knew you could do it, you know, you're a smart guy and I'm like, Yeah, no. There's no way I would have made it through this without God. There's been stuff that's come up that I I've, I've answered questions on assignments and tests that I'm like I get done, and I look at them, I'm like, hmm, I basically blacked out there. I have no idea where that came from and it's it's gotta it's gotta come from God. Now I'm not talking like divine inspiration kind of thing, like writing scripture or something like that, but Clearly, it's it's more than just
0: me and my knowledge. So, at at this point uh, in the narrative of Daniel, we're going to jump to chapter six. But what happens in between there? Chapter three is uh, where you have uh, Nebuchadnezzar set up this golden image of himself, and this is where the common uh, Bible story uh, about the fiery furnace comes in.
1: Like Um,
0: the coolest, one of the coolest. It's powerful, powerful testimony of again Daniel's friends. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, those are the biblical names, (laughs) were thrown into where they they stood their ground and said, we will worship no other. Again, coming back to the same point of you need to know whose you are. If you're going to stand your ground in the midst of difficult times, you have to know where your confidence lies. And if your confidence is, is something that wavers, you are going to waver. You are going to teeter. (laughs) It just Mm -hmm. is. Um, And then after that, Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream. Daniel interprets that dream further, just revealing God's favor upon Daniel because of his faithfulness in this. Um, Then Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy. He becomes proud and becomes – God basically disciplines him by making him like an animal. And he lives out and about and grazes like a cow and then comes to his senses – and is restored, um, but then eventually, uh, obviously, passes away. And then his son takes the reign, King Belshazzar, and that's not to be confused with Daniel's renamed name, Belteshazzar. Two different, two different people. Um, and Belshazzar rules. Um, Daniel continues to have favor in the kingdom, and uh, then Belshazzar just really kind of hardens himself and makes uh, proud foolish decisions and in a chapter for the end of chapter five uh he was killed and darius the mead becomes king at this point okay so there's a transition that takes place in authority when you get to chapter six it's two kings later from nebuchadnezzar so the beginning you have king nebuchadnezzar who's responsible for the babylonian captivity his son reigns and now darius reigns the mead and that is where we enter into um uh, the really the story of Daniel and the lion's den, which is another really well-known passage within uh, Scripture. Um, but what happens here is Daniel is being set over, really, the whole kingdom because of how he is faithfully served. And Daniel has continued to remain faithful to God through this whole time. And um, the, the the officials... The high officials, this is in verse um, verse 4. The high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. And this is a powerful statement. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And I automatically think of the passage in, I can't remember, it's first or second Peter, where it says... Um, conduct yourself in such a way that if someone brings a charge against you, they'll be put to shame. Um, This is how Daniel lived. Um, So much so that in verse 5 it said, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel was so committed to the law of the Lord and remaining faithful to that, that the only way these guys could find something against Daniel is if they ultimately found something against God's law. To say, we've well, got to find something against God in order to find something against Daniel, that is living for the Lord. Mm-hmm. The, that makes you wonder
1: too, uh, was was there a change in them in, at any point? Because in order to find a fault in God's law, you have to believe in God, at least a little. You know what I mean? So I, I'm wondering if there's... Some kind of like discipleship going on where they're seeing Daniel through all this.
0: It, it could be. Yeah, it
1: makes you wonder. I mean, obviously we don't know, but it's something to think about.
0: Well, and it, that's interesting to think about because they were clearly theists. If you go back to Nebuchadnezzar and even the Chaldeans in that sense, there was clearly a concept of gods. Um, and so they, But they, they go out of their way to say we would have to find it against the law of his god. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. It, it would appear to me they're still kind of under a polytheistic yeah. kind of viewpoint, where th- this is one God, like, and, and it's not that they don't believe in him, but it's that he is probably no different to them than all of their other little g-gods. Well, you know, Daniel's God, and it was so well known that that's who Daniel served, that, well, that's Daniel's God. Um, and so... They come up with this uh, scheme to essentially convince the king to sign a, an edict to where no one can pray to anyone except for the king. And of course to this secular king, he's like, yeah, this sounds that sounds good to me. Um, knowing that the king actually has a good relationship with Daniel. Like Daniel's not in bad standing here. And uh, so the king is really kind of tricked by these high officials into signing this. And in verse 10 of chapter 6, it says, When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Don't miss that. Daniel did not respond to this edict in spite. I am tired of spiteful followers of Jesus doing things just because they want to prove a point. But then, once they feel their point's proven, they don't do it anymore. Like, don't just gather together out of spite and do something you call spiritual. Make a pattern of your life that glorifies the Lord, and then seek to do it consistently. Rather than waiting for something to happen. And this, this how often, how common is this? That something comes out in the news... Or the government puts out something, and all of a sudden, all the Christians are angry about something they weren't angry about yesterday.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I'm
0: going, well, why is this just now causing us to do something? If we really believe uh, that these things need to be true... In our lives, they should be a part of our lives, not just reactions to specific items.
1: Yeah. Um, Going back to Daniel praying three times a day, there's a specific correlation between that and Psalm 55. And Psalm 55 is titled, Cast Your Burden on the Lord. And in there, um, it talks about praying morning, noon, and night. And that's where that reference is to. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting that this psalm, it's titled that, Cast Your Burden on the Lord. Yeah. And that's the whole premise of this with that praying persistent, praying and persistently, if I could talk, um, is that we should do that. Not just with burdens. We should cast everything on God. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's what he's there for. I mean, we hear it. I mean, how many times do you hear it, uh, the psalm during a funeral? You know, he's my present help in trouble. You know, it's it's always, we always look at God, and we talked about this last week, when... When poo hits the fan, it's it's yep. time for God and medication. or like yeah or medication and it's you know Daniel he just prayed to God because that's what he was supposed to do
0: he knew that without God nothing
1: nothing good was gonna
0: happen yeah and that included on days when things were going good mm-hmm. and that's where I I made a statement on Sunday and I um I think this is a challenging thing for us to wrestle with. And the statement is simply that our lack of prayerfulness often reveals that we do not really believe all that we claim to believe about God. And what I'm saying in that is not that there's not still some sort of belief in God, but rather that's meant to be really a test for us to look at and say, if I really believe something to be true, it changes who I am. It has an impact on my habits and my priorities and how I go about my day, how I live my life. It has an impact on my mission. And if you are claiming to believe that God is who he says he is, but it has zero impact on your mission or on your life, then you need to question whether you really believe what you say you believe about who God is. That's exactly what James is referring to when he says faith without works is dead. What's the point? If you claim to have faith, but you don't do anything about it, why do you even bother to claim to have faith?
1: Yeah.
0: What, what, what's the point? Uh, I can live my life the way I want to and claim to believe whatever I want. And uh, good grief scripture even says the demons believe God exists. Yeah, we find that.
1: Uh, we just read that about that in Acts uh, the other night as a family because we're going through the book of Acts. And we were talking about the seven sons of Sceva. And that's one of my favorite uh, sections of scripture. Look that up in Acts. Uh, I think it's in 20, 20 or 21, somewhere in that area. Um But that that was something funny they... These, uh, sons were trying to cast out demons, and they, you know, they said, in the name of Jesus Christ that Paul preaches. And that demon goes, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize, but who are you? (laughs) Because they didn't believe. Yeah. So they, you know, it was, you know, it was faulty thinking. But that, just the way that 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 is said, it's all, it always gets me every time I read it. Because he's like, you know, Jesus, I know. Paul, Paul, I'm familiar with, but who are you, man? Yes. And then they beat the crap out of him. Yeah. (laughs) The demons just, whip them boys yeah so it's a really good read you should read that
0: yeah and all of this to say our persistence in prayer should flow from who we know god to be and understanding and resolving that there is none like god there's nothing else in this world that is going to bring you peace there's nothing else in this world that's going to give you any lasting hope There's nothing in this world that is going to remain unchanged and have any source of security for you other than the creator of all things, who has eternally existed, always. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm -hmm. And if we don't recognize God's sovereignty and who he is, then it's understandable why we don't persist in prayer. And if God is not who he said he was, then we shouldn't persist in prayer. But if he is who he says he is, and who he's revealed himself to be, in the world around us, in his word, through his son, then we should be greatly fearful of how small a priority we make him. And so, in the grand scheme of things, kind of the the final question on in this is: um, In what circumstances are, are we most prone to disguise our faith? And and why is that? Why why are we prone to do that? Um, what times of my life am I prone to act or live as if I'm not? I don't really believe. Um, and why? What's at the root of that? And then, what needs to change internally? in order that I would have a persistence in prayer like Daniel models. What what has to change in me as far as priorities, as far as what becomes my focus about what my mission is, um, what has to change?
1: I think before I get to that I wanna point out a clear a clarification and emphasize something that you just said. It's the attributes that we know of God and who we know God to be, not who we think God is. Absolutely. And we only know who God is based on his word. Yes. And that's where you have to start. You cannot, well, I think God's like this, or I think that. It's not anything to do with you or what you think, because I can guarantee you're probably wrong. It's what God has revealed to us through his word about him. That's the only thing we know about God. So don't add you into God. God is G O D, not G U D. There's no nothing with you in there. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so I just I don't know that that one always gets me cuz it just drives me nuts when I talk with people and I hear, "Well, you know, why would why would a loving God do that or or do this or what about this with God?" and I'm like have you? Do you know anything about God? Right. Like you need to understand who God is first before you go saying, "Well, what about this with God?" And yeah. that that if you're rooting into the truth of of God and and what He's revealed and those attributes, you need to get that from Scripture. And if somebody tells you, even if it's Matt or me or an elder or anybody else, back it up with Scripture. If it's yes. not backed up in Scripture. Don't don't take it as, you know, 100% truth. Absolutely. And that's why you'll hear different times when we're talking, we'll say something along the lines of, well, you know, this is, you know, just opinion, or this is just kind of how we interpret the evidence, or whatever. You know, but if it's point blank, black and white in Scripture, then it's fact.
0: Yeah. Yeah, anyway. and, and no, and that's really good. And uh, you have to remember, you were made in God's image, God is not made in yours. hmm And, um... The only reason that we know anything about God is because he's chosen to reveal it to us. Yep. Which means if there's, not if, the aspects of who God is that we don't fully understand is because we're not supposed to. If you understood everything about God, that would mean you are God. And you don't want that. Yeah. Trust me when I say you don't want that. As much as you might think you do, that was the first temptation of the garden. You eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. <laughs> yep. And you don't want that. At all.
1: No. And you know, that, that really you know, it does lead us into um that last question on um where we're most prone to disguise our faith. And a lot of times it it's because you you you're hypocritical. I mean I, I I'm guilty of it. Um I'm sure just about everybody is where you say one thing, you believe in one thing, but you do something totally different. Mm. You know, and that it would be like the equivalent of saying, you know, well, I don't swear, I don't say curse words. I'm not going to lie, I do. I, I know it's something that I struggle with and that I constantly work on, but it, it would be the same as if I say, Oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, so I don't do any of those things, but then you find out later that I do it at home or I do it in private or something like that. That's disguising your faith. You're not fully following Christ there. Um, you know, and I'm not giving an excuse for myself by any means. I'm just saying as an example, that's that's one of those places where you hide your faith because you're around certain friends or something like that and you're like, "Well, you know, that they're not comfortable with Jesus so i'm i'm not going to i'm not going to show that side of me i'm going to go back to you know that pre-Jesus super sinful just don't care me because i'm cool around my friends
0: yeah and i think fear is at the root of a lot of that
1: mm-hmm.
0: um a lot of people disguise their belief or their faith because they're afraid of what other people think and uh, i think that's where we have to root into um rooted into Romans eight, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus um, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us and and the answer is nothing yeah. if you understand who God is, then it gives you a confidence that cannot be thwarted and that is 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 not changeable and is not anxious or stressed about the times um but we are mhm-. And uh, what needs to change in us is redirecting our eyes. Um, Colossians, coming back to a place of uh, do not uh, fix your eyes on the things that are here on earth. Fix your eyes on the things that are above. Um, don't don't keep pursuing that which is earthly in gain, uh, but actually seek the one who can do something about it. And... Um, to kind of close this out, uh, I read Luke 18, 1-8 on Sunday. And this is Jesus' parable about the persistent widow. Where Jesus tells this parable. It literally says in verse 1 of Luke 18, He tells this that they might uh, always pray and never lose heart. And so you talk about an encouragement to be persistent in prayer. And the story is of this this lady who comes before an unrighteous judge. And this unrighteous judge... Uh, essentially uh, doesn't answer the door. She keeps persisting and saying, uh, give give justice to me. Give justice for, to me uh, for what has been done. And finally, because of her persistence, there is justice brought to this lady. And Jesus' point is, if if the unjust judge responds this way, how much more do you think that God himself will respond? That will he not bring about justice quickly? And, and and then it ends with a question when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And we have to step back and realize, oh my goodness, do I have do I really have I really put my faith in the God of the universe? Have I really put my faith in the Creator over all things? Or not? And if I haven't, then I have a decision to make. And when I leave from hearing these truths, I've either chosen to have faith in him or I've chosen not to. And that's what I have to make a decision on.
1: Yeah. The, uh, that question, when you said it on Sunday, really hit me. Because it when you become a follower of Christ and you get that heart for people and that love, that genuine love for others, that really drives a stake in you. Because you're like, mm, man, you're so worried about those people that aren't in Christ, especially, and that ties back into, you know, um, disguising your faith, you know, I, I struggled with that fear aspect um, a lot until I took the evangelism and discipleship class in school, and that really changed my perspective on it in relation to the Great Commission, because I'm like, you know, we're, we're called to do this, we're called to share Jesus, and you look at, the apostles being martyred for doing that. You know, Paul literally head removed, executed for sharing Jesus. He had no fear. He didn't disguise his faith. So why do we? We have no, absolutely, just based on that, we have absolutely no right to do that. Yeah. So that's all you got from me. I don't know. It's good. I I like it. So
0: at the end of all this, what I really want to challenge any of you listening to this with is, to stop and evaluate what keeps you from going to the Lord that something does, something else causes you to treat the Lord like a medication that you don't need consistently and to understand the very breath in your lungs is a gift from the Lord and at any moment that that gift can be be done um, that, that God is the only one who has power over life and death. He's the only one and it was proven in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, is proven through jesus ministry, and um where is your confidence at? where's your hope at where is your peace at? This is a time where there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxious people and i'm 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 telling you uh that's going to continue to be the case until we can find our greatest confidence in the sovereignty of God and rest in him
1: yeah absolutely I say um that's probably the perfect way to end it. The only thing I would add is tell them to look up Proverbs 3, 5.
0: Yep. Don't stop at 5. Just read Proverbs 3. Just read the whole chapter. Yep. It was a good good and, chapter to read. And remember. read all of Daniel. So, yeah. If you, uh, if you guys have questions for us or you want some other things discussed, um, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we look forward to being able to discuss more with you. This next week we're going to uh, be going to the Psalms and looking at uh, how do we pray when we're in distress. And uh, what does it look like? What What is the pattern of the psalmist's prayers uh, in distress? And what can we learn from that? So, until next time, we look forward to it.
1: you got to close with some prayer. Okay. The whole series is about prayer. we got to close in prayer. Let's pray.
0: Father, thank you for your grace and the salvation you've given us in Jesus. Thank you for the hope that you've given us that goes beyond anything this world can offer. I pray that you would uh, fix our eyes today on who you are, and remind us of your faithfulness, that that would be the motivation by which we stand firm on a faith that cannot be shaken, that's rooted in you. God, help us to see the opportunities you send our way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Lord, most of all, may you be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.